0: Hello welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I am Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And today we are back in the Project Purple studio. We're on the phone with a special friend of ours, a good friend of ours, someone who's been on the podcast before, Dr. Kelsey Clouty from the University of Nebraska Medical Center at the Buffett Cancer Center in Omaha, Nebraska. How are you, Dr. Clouty?
1: Oh, I'm pretty good.
0: It's an interesting time that we are going through right now, and we wanted to have this podcast to talk about COVID-19. Um, this will air on Monday, um, so we're recording this on Friday before. So uh, we asked Dr. Cludy, who we've worked with at UNMC. She's in the clinic. Um, she's a medical oncologist. And we thought it would be important to bring to our audience, from a clinician standpoint, What are some of the things uh, that patients and their families should be concerned about COVID-19? And let me preface this podcast before we get into this with Dr. Clutie. We still don't know a lot or enough, I should say, about COVID-19. And so this is an ever-changing environment there's some great resources from the CDC. I know ASCO just put out a piece about COVID-19 and how that relates to cancer patients. Um, so we did want to give out some information, I would say, uh, for patients listening and for families listening, as always, what we say here is not something that we suggest that you do right away, but that I think you go back to your physician and you you consult with those physicians. Um, so what we're saying here is not the letter of the law and, and not by any means what everyone should be doing, but hopefully giving them information so that they can have you know, something that maybe they didn't think about or maybe their clinician hasn't spoken to them about and go back and, and talk to their clinicians and have those discussions. So with that, Dr. Clutie, with COVID 19 now, pretty much throughout the, I think every state, I think before we started recording, I think I, we mentioned, I, I mentioned, you know, I think there's two states in the United States that haven't had a positive test yet. What's the first thing that, in particular, pancreatic cancer, the community that you service and that we, we service as well, what's probably the first thing that people should be aware of with COVID 19 and the pancreatic cancer community?
1: I think the most important thing to know is that people with really any underlying medical problem, um, including cancer, are at higher risk of developing complications if they are to be infected by COVID 19. Um, but the other thing I would say is that people who have cancer in general and are frequenting a medical center, you know, whether it be for doctor's appointments or treatment. Um, likely have a higher risk of being exposed to the infection. And so I think it's important to take precautions to both try to minimize exposure and also to try to, whenever possible, you know, reduce the chance that somebody is exposed at a time when their immune system is weakened, which we often see in people who have both cancer in general. So cancer itself can affect the immune system. But um, oftentimes the treatments that you're giving to people with cancer, particularly pancreatic cancer, can you know, affect the immune system and would certainly increase somebody's risk of complications were they to develop the infection.
0: So when we talk about minimizing exposure and minimizing risk, I mean, I know oncologists talk to patients beyond the realm of COVID-19, and so some of those things that you guys, ask the patients to do might be what in terms of minimizing that risk and that exposure to being sick because yeah
1: so i mean so in general we you know we recommend that patients who are with cancer or who are getting treated with chemotherapy wash their hands frequently if somebody's sick you know try to avoid them um but in particular with this virus, we know that it spreads through droplet. And so, and, and that your risk of con- getting the virus is highest. If you are in large crowds. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for, for my patients, what I'm recommending is that they stay, stay away from anything that has large crowds. And, you know, this is pretty consistent with what the CDC is recommending for the population in general. Yeah. Um, But even things like going out to restaurants, you know, if can somebody, you know, bring food home, things like going to grocery stores, can you maybe have somebody pick up groceries for you and drop them off at your house? Um, Maybe taking an extra step to isolate yourself a bit from anywhere where you might pick up this virus, because the truth is this virus can be anywhere, you know, it can survive on, on surfaces for days. And so, even just thinking about the grocery store. I mean, somebody, somebody took that box of cereal and put it on the shelf. So, you you know, you, there's a risk of exposure anywhere. The biggest thing is to wash your hands, particularly if you touch anything in public, in a public place. Um, and whenever possible, try to not touch things in a public place. So things like door handles, elevator buttons, You know, even can you touch the elevator button with your elbow or cover your hand with your, you know, the sleeve of your shirt, just little things like that to, you know, the less things you touch, the lower the risk of, of infection.
0: Yeah. And and I think, you know, as you know, it's crazy. I, I, I wonder if this whole awareness as a whole for cancer patients, clearly this is important, but for the general population, you know, washing hands, it'll be fascinating to see posts like what's, what else is eliminated, <laughs> you know, because we are so consciously, I mean, you, you, I was listening to the radio this morning and the guy was saying that the radio host was saying, oh my God, I've never washed my hands as much in 48 hours, you know, but you know, this whole population now is doing this. And, you know, what, what are the other pro, pros, you know, what are the other benefits that are going to come out of this? Maybe there'll be a spike in like hand lotion sales because everyone will have chapped hands, which is a good thing because there wouldn't be disease spreading from, you know, from person to person and from being on all these things because people are sanitary, which you would think yeah. would be common I mean, sense. <laughs> right? flu season may end early. Yeah. You know, this is going to have other implications if
1: people do not to kind of follow these these guidelines the other you know the other thing I've I recommended to a couple of patients yesterday is actually to maybe distance themselves from things like grandchildren young kids yeah. because we know that kids they get this this virus but they don't get sick from it so so there's no without testing there's no way to know if a child has the virus and this certainly happens in in adults as well, but it doesn't seem to happen at the same frequency that it happens in kids. And there's actually, there's some data that kids can shed virus for three to four weeks after infection. And a lot of times it's spread, or they shed virus in the stool. So even things like changing diapers, which you know, in a young kid, even with the most aggressive hand washing, it's, there's a high risk of transmission of that virus. And so I think it's important for people, especially people with a weakened immune system or people with cancer or any other medical problems um, to, you know, think about that. Is it, yeah, I want to, I want to be around my grandkids, but is, is it worth the chance that I could get infected? Because if you get infected and you do have comorbidities, there is a really high rate of serious complications and even death. And so I think some of these extra measures are worth at least considering for people who, who do have a higher risk of, of complications or death from the virus.
0: And I think what we're suggesting here, you know, I mean, the things we've mentioned, you know, avoiding large crowds, you know, uh, washing your hands, avoid public areas, you know, social distance from, I wrote social distance, um, but avoiding grandchildren, which I know we've, we've, there's this new term about, um, you know, the separation of people in public areas, you know, being six feet apart, you know, so that you're not near people, which I think they've now termed like social, I forget the term, but I, it's social distance, I think
1: social distancing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Which is now a term, which is kind of fascinating that COVID-19 has provided for new language, but you know, these are things that I think are not uh, one, they don't cost anything. I, I mean, the one thing that may cost people um, that are experiencing or, or families, um, you know, that have pancreatic cancer or have cancers, you know, might be like home delivery services, I, I think might actually go up, you know, in terms of getting groceries and stuff like that. Um, because that, there might be a little bit of a, a, a an extra price to pay to have your groceries delivered from Walmart or from your local grocery store, which in this case probably would be the best thing to do, right? Because we don't necessarily want these people going out to Walmart to be around strange people and, and people that might be exposed that might increase your chance of, of getting sick or getting the virus. Is there also a risk, Dr. Clutie, for families? So I know we talk a lot about the person battling the person getting the chemotherapy but should the primary caregiver a spouse uh, a, a, even a child possibly or someone who we know in the family is responsible for getting this patient to and from their care or caring for them while they can't care for themselves should they also kind of take these precautions
1: i think they absolutely should um, both to preserve their own health so that yeah. they can continue to, you know, to be the primary caretaker. We know that most people who get this virus don't develop what they consider to be severe infection, but severe infection is was defined as hospitalization. Um, so, you know, even people who get non-severe COVID can be sick and it might affect their ability to care for their family member. But the other reason it's really important for them to to be mindful of these precautions and maybe go the extra step is that when people do get this virus, so if you're infected with this virus, it can take two to five days before people develop symptoms. And so, you know, they could be running out to the grocery store pick up the virus, come home, you know, be preparing the food and around around the their loved one who has pancreas cancer, and they could shed virus to them without ever knowing that they were sick. And so I do think, in general, as a population, we're better off, you know, sticking closer to home, isolating a bit. But I think particularly people who spend a lot of time with somebody who has has a Pancreas cancer, or really any underlying medical condition, should also be extra cautious um, because because of that risk of of transmitting the infection to their to their loved one. It's
0: powerful. Let's shift gears a little bit here, staying again in in what we're talking about here. But what about the people who are in remission? So people that not necessarily. Uh, and this can also go into the people that, and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, you know, the chemo break folks, which are people that uh, may have small evidence of disease or may not have any evidence of disease, but are still on like maintenance chemotherapy to keep the cancer at bay. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so there's a few things about that. So the data that we have about this infection and in people who have cancer at least suggests, so though the numbers were small. So this is all data coming out of China. Suggests that um, people who have cancer or who have head cancer, whether or not they are on treatment, seem to have a higher risk of complications from the infection, or you know, requiring hospitalization, having to be in an intensive care unit, or dying from the disease. So. Um, some of that we don't necessarily understand. And truthfully, the numbers are pretty small. So how reliable the actual statistics are, I don't know. But mm-hmm. so I think, you know, having had a cancer, particularly people who've had chemotherapy, even if the blood counts have recovered to normal, there may still be some impact on the immune system that we don't understand so well. So, you know, if, you know, I'm still recommending that that people who've had cancer take extra precautions. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing that we're doing from a healthcare perspective, you know, from the healthcare provider standpoint is we're looking at our patients who are coming in and out of the clinic and really asking, is this a visit that we could put off? Because I think the hospital a clinic, you know, is a place where there's a lot of people coming in and out Mm -hmm. people, you know, just in general, you're exposed to a lot of people. And I tell patients that even during flu season, truthfully, one of the greatest risks for my patients for getting the flu is just the fact that they're coming back and forth to the hospital Correct. and, you know, more likely to be exposed to the flu. And so just today I went over my next two weeks of clinic with my nurse and looked at, you know, who really needs to be seen and whose visit could we put off for a few months. And a lot of those visits that we're thinking about putting off are people who've had cancer of any type, including pancreas cancer, but are, you know, two, a year, two years out from, from treatment, from surgery, from chemo that, you know, I, I think, As long as they're feeling okay, the risk of delaying their follow-up, their scans, their visits, their blood work um, is probably acceptable when the trade-off is, you know, bringing them into clinic and risking a potential exposure. Um, The other thing I've been talking to some patients about is, you know, People who we've been talking about doing a chemotherapy break, you know, taking taking a little break from chemotherapy, whose cancer is under good control and who are maybe kind of running into a lot of side effects, particularly with low blood counts and immune system. Two of my patients yesterday decided to go on a chemo break. And part of the decision, not the whole decision, but part of the decision was the fact that you know, the next few months might be a really good time to have a robust immune system. And so they decided to go off chemotherapy, um, kind of let their body recover a little bit, but with the benefit that that their immune system may be a bit stronger than it would have been had they stayed on chemotherapy.
0: It's an important message right there, because I think a lot of times people, you know, rush in and, you know, or, or sometimes they make these decisions based on you know critical events that are happening in their life whether it's you know family events and vacations that they want to take but you know this is one that right now might be a really good time you know to think about that so I appreciate you mentioning that cuz I think that's an important message that our community should know about one thing that I've been reading about here and this is and the, the other thing I want to say to our audience here is this is a very fluid situation right you mentioned China uh, China a bit and the data coming out of China I know from talking to many Uh, physicians and and scientists that, you know, and seeing on Twitter and other places that, you know, it wasn't as accurate, right? China hasn't been as open with all the data, and Italy is probably, you know, one country that we trust, and there's been a lot of uh, different data uh, that's come out of Italy, Um, but all this has been happening within the last three months, so this is a very fluid situation, and things are constantly changing, so we have to kind of be able to react to that as we find out that, and one thing that, and, and and why i bring that up is because one thing that i just saw recently was um and i don't know if you guys have thought about this but i want to bring it up not to throw a hard question at you but switching chemotherapies and what i mean by that is you know they there and with pancreatic cancer some patients are you know on oral chemotherapy and is that something that you guys have talked about maybe in the clinic there you know, as an alternative for maybe someone that we we don't want this patient population coming back to the clinic if it's required that they are on chemotherapy to maybe offer an oral chemotherapy for the time being or to change their chemotherapy regimen to an oral chemotherapy so they can stay home and kind of be isolated in, you know, their home and not have to worry about coming to the clinic and potentially getting sick or going out in public and getting sick?
1: Yeah, it's definitely something that's come up. Um, in pancreas cancer, we really only have one
0: yeah, unfortunately. drug
1: that's FDA yeah. approved and it's really only used in the adjuvant setting though. You know, we, there, there've been situations where I've used it outside of that. So yeah, for the right patient, that's a, that's not a bad idea. You know, we still see those patients, they still get blood work, but they don't spend the three to four hours sitting the, in the treatment center. Um, so again, you, they just kind of spend less time contacting the healthcare system, yeah. which you have to imagine will decrease their risk of um, of toxicity or of not toxicity of of infection. Correct. Um, there's also, and this has kind of been a weak recommendation from some different organizations, but there are certain chemo drugs that tend to have more of Um, more immunosuppressive effect on the lymphocytes, which tend to be the blood cell that helps your body defend against viral infections. And so that's kind of, it's not so evidence-based, but there are are people who've talked about maybe it would be better to consider not using certain drugs, drugs, which might have more effect on that part of your immune system and wherever possible to switch to drugs that may you know be harder on the neutrophils which tend mm. you know tend to be more important against bacterial infection less less important in terms of fighting a viral infection but i think we don't know enough and so it's hard to know it's hard to know if that's the right thing to do for a patient particularly if a drug's working to control their cancer because you know you you want to mitigate their risk of of developing coronavirus and having complications of that but if if you're not optimally treating their pancreas cancer then you have to worry about the implications of that as well so it's 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 really tricky hey,
0: I, I don't envy you guys right now in this oncology space because uh it is a you know the, i don't think we've ever seen this and not in my lifetime and i don't know i mean i guess people have related this to you know 1918 i guess to the spanish flu that you know wiped out you know, thousands of people, but, you know, there's not enough data to like, look back at that. So I think in this, this age that we're in, I mean, this is, this is unprecedented, right? We've never seen this, So it's, it's fascinating.
1: It is. And I've actually been really, I think one interesting thing about this whole thing is, you know, there's not, there are certainly guidelines coming out from different organizations. Obviously the CDC is constantly updating their recommendations for Um, for the public and also for healthcare professionals. But what I found really interesting is the community on Twitter. And there's some Facebook groups, physician-based Facebook groups that um, have been very proactive at sharing what their institutions have done, what their experience has been. And I think it's, in a difficult time, it's inspiring to see kind of the healthcare community kind of banding together and just trying to trying to take care of everyone and share information as best we can. And I think social media has been a really, really interesting outlet for sharing that information. And I think, I think more and more will come out about that. People are tracking it. And I think it's going to be an important part of the story going forward.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. It's it's fascinating. I mean, as I'm sitting here at the computer and I scroll, and, you know, good news researchers in Canada have isolated the COVID 19 virus. You know, so there's things like this happening. And I got kind of tricked into it last night. I was on Twitter for a while and I saw this, this. scientists somewhere in the world because it's a it's a global pandemic right and so everyone from the world is working on this thing talking about how they've identified like and and again this is not uh this is just what i'm reading off twitter it's not written law don't know if this is accurate i'm not a doctor so preface that by saying this you know like these cytokines it's like this cytokine collapse in the immune system like it's like this massive rush and why isn't it happening in children and there's some evidence that says it's more prevalent in males than in females right now COVID 19 across the globe so why is that happening why why are men getting sicker than than females right so it's just so fascinating how the world is working together really to, to try to crack this thing so it's so fascinating again it's such a fluid situation my last question i have two more questions the, the, and I know with multiple, like with centers, and in particular with uh, oncology patients, you know, a lot of centers throughout the country, big centers have satellite places and then they have their main cancer center. Do you think there's a difference where patients should receive their treatment? Should they be going to those main centers or should they be staying at those satellite centers? And do you know, I know for you guys there at UNMC, you guys have some satellite branches as well where patients can get oncology um, treatments. Uh, has that changed protocol-wise? I imagine that's probably going to change across the country again, a really fluid situation. But do you think that matters?
1: I I mean, to some degree, yes, but I think it's probably very individualized by institution. Yeah. And so I know that... Um, From a UNMC perspective, you know, we have two real, really two satellite locations where we, where we see and treat patients. So it's not at the main campus where the hospital is, um, as far the, I think the, the tricky thing is to know where, where patients with suspected virus are being seen in our case, they're actually trying to keep them off the main campus, but they're not being seen where our patient's with cancer are being seen and treated. And so I think it's highly individualized. I think most institutions, though, are mindful of the fact that, you know, ideally, we would try to keep patients with suspected COVID away from, you know, the medically complicated patients or people who have, who are, have a compromised immune system. And so I think it's highly individualized. Um, You know, in our situation, again, they're, they're trying to keep screening and testing of patients wherever possible off of the main campus. Um, But that may be different in different, in different areas. Um, In most places, the kind of the recommendation is, is that if, if somebody who has an appointment is sick, is coughing, has a fever, you know, that they call ahead to let them know because where they want them to go may be different depending on that. Our clinic is also screening every patient who comes in the door um, and caregivers and asking about exposures and cough and fever and that sort of thing. Um, And again, to try if if a patient is coughing, they have a new cough or they've had a recent fever that they're actually escorted to a different area to minimize contact with other patients. Until, you know, until they're kind of triage and it's decided whether they need to be tested, you know, they kind of go through the whole the whole workup separate from from where we would provide our normal patient care to people with cancer.
0: Yeah, I, I've seen that, you know, here in the Northeast that where and I think what's happening too, I and seen this a lot in the news where they have these drive ups now where you can get COVID-19 testing. And, you know, they've set up tents outside. I don't know if that's happened there yet at UNMC, but some of the facilities here in Connecticut have uh, erected, you know, outdoor triage centers for this virus specifically because they do not want them inside of the patient population, inside the the brick and mortar hospital. And just to get into the brick and mortar hospital, you know, in the lobby they are you know, like you said, they're all testing and making sure they know who's coming in and if they're ill, like, they, you know, they're immediately putting them into other areas. So They're not impacting that patient population inside of the hospital. Last question for you. And, you know, so we were talking before we started recording. Pancreatic cancer doesn't discriminate, doesn't care about COVID 19. There's still people getting diagnosed. So I know we're talking here about people that are in treatment, but what about, let's say, someone gets diagnosed today or someone gets diagnosed next week? Should this be the same thing for these people that aren't yet in treatment? And maybe there's just a, a tip or two that we can mention to those families. Like, Should pa- people wait to go see the doctor if they're, if they're sick with pancreatic cancer or if they potentially think they have pancreatic cancer? And I'm not saying that people should just rush in to see their GPs or their GIs, but people that are diagnostically been diagnosed with the disease, what could we share for them?
1: I mean, we're seeing those people as we normally would at this point. Um, Because again, you know, pancreatic cancer, it's, it's a very serious disease. And, you know, to some degree, it's time sensitive. Um, And in most cases, we probably wouldn't delay treatment at this point. But that that situation may evolve as time goes on. Um, What, what they may see happening, you know, that may be different from from what we might have done a month or two ago is that the hospital or clinic might limit how many people can come to the appointment with them. Um, just again, to minimize the number of people and again, potential exposures coming in and out of a clinic. And so we, for the most part, ask that people only bring one healthy family member with them to their appointments. Whereas oftentimes we encourage, you know, you you can sure bring two or three people who are most important to help you make your healthcare decisions, you know, so they can all kind of hear the recommendations and help make decisions together. So, you know, kind of limiting how many people somebody can have come to their appointment. I think at this point is probably the most significant impact we'll see from this, from this situation. But I think time will tell as things go forward, you know, healthcare resources might be diverted and, and, certain things may be put off. Now, I again, pancreas cancer isn't one that I would be comfortable waiting on. Um, so I think for the most part, patients who have a new diagnosis at this point can expect that, you know, treatment and, di- you know, testing, diagnostic testing type things, biopsies, um, scans, and treatment would likely proceed as kind of as usual at this point
0: so don't wait and i think that's important you know i think uh as we know as i said like this disease doesn't discriminate there is never uh, it doesn't plan anything perfectly for anyone so if you are you know feeling well and and you have been diagnosed i I, you know it is critical that you be seen and but just take the precautions that we've already talked about in terms of uh, what to do Dr. Cludy, thank you for taking time out of your busy day uh, to talk to us about COVID-19 virus and how that impacts the pancreatic cancer community. We appreciate all you do for our patients out in Nebraska and throughout the country. So the best place to learn more about Dr. Cludy, about the work they're doing out there in Nebraska, if someone has questions about COVID-19 virus would be nebraskamed.com backslash cancer backslash pancreatic. Dr. Clutie, thank you for being on the Project Purple podcast. Thank you for all you do for the pancreatic cancer community there in Nebraska and throughout the country. And as we say, that's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple podcast. If you like what you hear today, please follow us, share this podcast. And until next time, we'll talk to you then.